Excerpts from Sir Fairchild's journals. Date 152. They tell me there are natives living throughout regions of this lengthy river. I can barely believe it. This place is totally void of any signs of civilization, but in contrast teeming with abundant life. I've seen brief glimpses of animals I've never seen or heard of before, unimaginable insects, ranging from the smallest to the largest, and evidence of snakes dwarfing the width of a normal-sized human being. I even heard of, and was quite fortunate not to see, very poisonous snakes that traveled along the river. The worst of all of these were the insects. They came in all sizes and shapes, some with two legs, and some with innumerable appendages. They crawled, slithered, hopped, and flew, and somehow always made their way to me. My days seemed to be full of trying to stay cool in this humid, hot region and slapping insects that, for some strange reason, wanted to sample my blood. It was unbearable, however, the rest of the crew seemed undaunted, since the insects were not interested in the taste of their blood. Each day was agonizingly slow, with not one sign of ancient ruins. Hernandez warned me that not much can be seen along the river, and that several short expeditions into the forest would have to be braved, but up to this time, I refrained from doing so. The sheer wildness of the forest has frightened me into complacency. However, I do wonder if it is the forest frightening me or the mysteries it possess. I'll never know unless I'm inspired to take a step into the unknown. Day 155 Hernandez tells me the men are becoming restless from the inactivity of the trip and want to make brief expeditions every day to stretch their legs. So here I sit on the river's edge, swatting mosquitoes and other unidentifiable flying insects, and writing about the mysterious Amazon River in this journal. The men are taking turns watching the boats and venturing into the forest. I refuse to lose sight of the boats in fear I may never find my way back to them. I know it's ridiculous since I would most likely have a guide with me. Sometimes I yearn for the end of all of this. My resolve is starting to wane as I consider going home to my beloved England with the little information I've gathered thus far. I want these days to end and the past to reassert itself. That comfortable past with no surprises, no restless nights, no shocking revelations. Nights laying next to my wife and sharing each other's body heat. Playing with my children and being amazed with the speed of their development and budding maturity. Teaching my classes and challenging open and sometimes closed minds. The intellectual debates with my colleagues, the journals, newly published novels, the London Symphony Orchestra, the rain. I yearn for all I took for granted. How truly blessed I was. The back of my neck feels a wane in the sun's burning rays, signifying the end of the day and the ushering in of night. Soon innumerous flying insects will venture out into the cool air in search of my no longer virgin skin. What will tomorrow bring? More of the same, I fear. Soon I will give up, turn around, and return to my blessed family and land I loved even more than when I first left. Date 156. It's now late in the evening, and only now I sit recapping the day's events. The day started like any other day with the counting of my skin welts from my winged assailants of the night, the eating of food only to provide sustenance, at the expense of having my palate assaulted with foul victuals, and the constant reminder of this beautiful yet bleak place I trek. The boats traverse the river as every other day, and late in the afternoon, we made our daily break to allow the men to stretch their legs. Where we stopped was no more different than any other place. The forest was thick, the vegetation taller than a man's normal height, and the water deep, hiding all types of unknown water species. Nothing was out of the ordinary. Therefore, 
I was shocked when several men ran back shouting something in their language about a large rock. When Hernando translated for me, I was filled with a mixture of emotions. He spoke of rock with carved pictures and unknown words on it. To tell the truth, I was depressed. There was no turning back now. I was brought to the rock, and to my surprise it possessed similar pictures and the same language from what I previously saw. My heart sank, it was as if fate was leading and guiding me to discover all that was to be known. We then set up camp near the rock and sent out several groups in different directions to find more, if there was anything else to find. I stayed behind and labored over the writing. It was the same language as before but still with words I couldn't decipher. I was able to make out the words hand and God from time to time, but really nothing else. Hours later, Fernando came to update me on the progress of the groups only to find me sleeping under the shadow of the rock. He shook me violently out of a rare peaceful slumber and showed me an image from the boulder on the ground. Parts of the boulder allowed sunlight to pass through it. All of the images, which were five, converged together on the ground and took the shape of an angel. When I looked at which symbols were allowing light to pass through, I recognized these words, dawn, time, man, God, and laws. The five words deciphered for me from the tablet at Al-Aqqath, Iraq. No coincidence these words had significant importance. I remembered the words from Al-Aqqath as if it happened yesterday. The man there clearly said, from the hand of God, from the dawn of time, from the beginning of man, these laws and actions will be preserved and enforced forever. And now laying on the ground before me was an image of an angel. Fernando made the sign of the cross on his body and mumbled something about a miracle. I told him there were no miracles here, just a sign for where we must look. We both agreed not to tell the rest of the men and waited until the angle of the sun's rays no longer passed through the rock symbols and the angel no longer visible. We then instructed the men to dig up the soil in front of the rock. After nearly an hour, they uncovered a round tablet. It possessed the same written language I have seen before, but this time written around the periphery of the stone. In the center of the tablet was a large blue quartz. The entire tablet weighed roughly five pounds. To my despair, I could not make out a single word on this tablet. It was a beautiful find but useless to my cause. And so I sit here late in the evening looking at this beautiful tablet with no hope of ever understanding what it means. Day 157 Last night I camped out next to the rock, hoping that the sheer proximity to it would inspire me. That would have been too easy. Fernando sent out more groups to scout out areas missed from the previous day, while I continued to sit in the shade of this rock with its lovely unearthed tablet before me. I have made up my mind to go no further. I no longer have the strength to continue down this never-ending river. No one else knows how I feel as of yet, but tonight, I'll break the news. What possessed me to do such a thing? I can't believe it. The mystery of the ages discovered through either intuition or plain curiosity. When the sun's rays passed through the rock, like yesterday, it formed an angel on the ground where the men filled the hole. I placed the tablet where the angel was and as soon as I placed the blue quartz in front of the rays, beams of blue light passed through the words around the tablet then back to the rock. I looked at the rock, shocked at what I found. The blue light from the tablet illuminated certain etched letters. And when I put the letters together it made sense. Some words on the rock were encrypted while others were not. The fortunate thing was that the encryption was constant. Once I figured out how to decipher one word, all of the other words followed the same pattern. 
It was a simple pattern. Take the first, third, and fifth letter from a word and substitute it for the second, fourth, and sixth letter of the next word. If the first encrypted word is smaller than the second, then the leftover letter from the second is carried over. And if the first encrypted word is larger than the second, then the leftover letter from the first is dropped. Where there was a non-encrypted word, nothing was carried over, but everything was dropped. It acted like a buffer. With renewed zest, I read the entire rock for the first time. It said, Buried beneath the shadow of his majestic hand is the key to unlocking the language and purpose of our God. Only those entrusted should use the key to learn our God's language and venture forth. A curse from the hand of our God will bring death to anyone not worthy of this knowledge. It is the hand of our God that brings light and darkness. It is the hand of our God that will consume all. I kicked the tablet from its place so no one else could see what happened. And now I sit and ponder these words and possible actions. First of all, will my fate be the same as so many others who have stumbled onto residues of this ancient mystery? And as I write these words, I know the answer is already yes. It would be too hard to keep the tongues of my crew quiet over this find. Second, with this in mind, do I run or dig deeper? My mind is in a quandary. The moon is fully lit in the sky and all the men, except for Hernando, have retired to the boats. We talked idly for a while until he finally asked me what my plans were. I finally decided to move forward since everything up to this point seemed to have led me here. I told Hernando to wake a couple of workers he trusted the most, for the tablet we found was just a key to a door possibly buried a little further beneath it. It is time to fully unearth the truth in spite of my fate. After nearly three hours of digging, the two workers finally hit a solid foundation. We carefully discovered a setting matching the tablet. After placing the tablet on the setting, a trapdoor revealed itself. After the workers lifted it from the ground, we could barely make out stairs leading down to a thick covering of darkness. I told the two workers to wait as both Hernando and I forged onward into the unknown. I'm going to continue this in a new journal. Journal through the door. Despite how exciting each step in this ancient mystery is, I now find myself writing in this journal to capture as much as I can. It is our first break, and Hernando is closely inspecting the area. When we first started down the stairs, with lanterns in hand and backpacks filled with bare essentials, we had no idea the depth of what we were walking into. After we squeezed through the trap door, the stairway opened up to only a height of nearly five feet. Therefore, we had to walk hunched over. After 10 minutes of descending into the unknown, we finally reached the end of the stairs. To our relief, the ceiling allowed us to stand at our normal height. A few minutes to stretch our cramped backs, and we were off again. There was only one way to go forward, since there were only walls about us with no apparent openings to other chambers. We walked slowly trying to decipher what structure we were in and where we were going. No inscriptions or pictures were on the walls, it was as if whoever built this massive underground structure did not care for historical preservation. The hall continued on for another 300 feet when it finally opened up into a massive chamber. We immediately noticed five other openings evenly spaced along its periphery. In the center was a round stone table with six stone chairs. Each chair was placed in direct line of each of the openings. On the back of each chair was a single character and on the table were the same symbols in front of each chair. In the center of the table was a stone goblet carved in the table itself, making one piece. 
The entire chamber was around 60 feet in diameter. It is here we decided to take our break in here, where I contemplated the six symbols. Fernando examined the chamber in great detail, amazed at the technological wonder of it all. He exclaimed how everything seemed to have been carved out of subterranean rock. I was shocked when he called the entire structure an underground pyramid. As intriguing as the notion was, it was my deciphering of the six symbols that amazed me more. They were translated as Rees, Bethadsneba, Fasa, Gadaz, Tudutan, and Syriasis. They must be names since Tudutan, which I heard of before, was referred to as a person. These names, individuals, must play an integral role in the culture in this continent. I just hope to find out more today. I must be precise in describing the next series of events, they being as remarkable as they are. As I belabored the names on the table further, I placed my kerosene lamp in the middle of the table. As to not obscure the names, what happened next I continued to debate in my mind, but it seemed as the flames passed from the lamp onto the stone goblet in the table center. A large flame erupted from the goblet, spilled over its sides as liquid fire, ran throughout each symbol, and then spilled over to each chair. The symbol on the backs of each chair became a flame as the same liquid flame fell to the floor and quickly shot out as a straight stream of fire into each hall. A flame then became lit along the walls of the entire chamber, bringing forth an intense unnatural light. I was frozen in place as I witnessed this unexpected event. However, the sudden eruption of the chairs forced me from my inert state. I fell back on the floor, frightened by the chair's intense heat. Fernando rushed to my side, making sure I was all right. We both sat there amazed at what just transpired. Why would anyone have a chair for sitting totally engulfed in flames? Was it a form of sacrifice? And, more importantly, how can a chair of solid rock burn? There was no apparent smell of inflammatory liquids present anywhere. After I convinced Hernando I did not set off any unforeseen trap or alarm, I explained to him exactly what happened to the lamp's flame. I know he does not believe me, but when I told him of the names for each symbol, I could see the concern on his face. I repeated the names again and found his heavy hand on my mouth. He said these names were not meant to be spoken, but only by Tudutan. Fernando continued to talk about Tudutan. He did not believe Tudutan was real until I just mentioned his name. Fernando regarded Tudutan as a myth, a bedtime story, and even superstition. The belief in Tudutan goes back before the reign of the Mayans and Aztecs. He was a man endowed with unworldly powers, used to rule over others. A man filled with awesome intellect bringing both prosperity and civilization to the continent. He was a man who could not die. It was said his spirit could possess other individuals, extending his life for centuries. Tudutan did not tolerate free thinking or any questioning of his mandates. To those who unquestionably followed him, he protected and guided, but all others he killed without hesitation. Fernando said, this is how the myth of Tudutan was remembered. Parents told children to follow their instruction or the spirit of Tudutan would punish them. Others used his name as a superstition, believing that wearing trinkets would bring them good fortune. Now I know why Hernando was so shocked to find the name of Tudutan on the table. It was a revelation. Somewhere in time the man did exist. When I asked him of the other names, he mentioned there was a myth saying that Tudutan had five brothers, which no one had the right to know of, and to know of their names would bring havoc on one's soul. So now we both sit here in this chamber contemplating our next step. 
It seems to me the myth of Tututan and his five brothers was no myth at all. At one time, they all existed. But how does all of this fit into my quest? And on a continent thousands of miles away from everything Jean-Claude mentioned in his writings. Could this be where it all started? Fear tells me to run, but I can't. I came this far and must see it through. If it's an answer I'm looking for, it may be down one of these five other halls. The path we came is directly in line with the Tugutan chair. When I told Hernando my intentions, he was stunned at my decision. It seems he was expecting me to turn back from which we came. I then made it clear I was going to investigate each hall leading from this chamber. So with only one kerosene lamp between us, we prepared to venture into the nearest hall to where we first entered. This is all for now. I'm taking another break to record these findings as they are still fresh in my mind. This first hall is much like the first we walked through. Nothing of interest was inscribed on the walls. The ceiling was high enough so we did not have to hunch, and we eventually turned off the lamp since the extended flame fully illuminated the way. What's keeping it lit is beyond me. We soon found stairs heading down 50 feet and then a short hall leading to a small opening. This small room was void of any chairs or tables. In the center was a large 5-foot by 7-foot inscription of one of the symbols. Carved out of stone and fully ablaze, the name Siriasis slowly flickered with a life of its own. Due to the room's small dimensions, it was extremely hot and very difficult to breathe, so we did not stay there long. Hernando and I retreated back to the stairs. It is here we take our break before heading back. But I find this layout extremely strange. If this was the room of Siriasis, it was nothing but a large cauldron with a blazed name within its center. No person could survive in that room for an extended time, so what was its purpose? A place of reverence. But if no one knew of Tututan's five brothers, who was there to worship him and why this room? I wonder if every other room is like this. After returning to the chamber, we walked down the Hall of Gadas. It was exactly as Sirius's room, an exact copy in both dimensions and intense heat. The Gadas flame danced an ethereal-like dance over its name. The rhythmic movement lulled me into a sense of complacency. It was Hernando's hand that pulled me from the room. Under his breath, I heard him calling the room an unholy place. I knew he wanted to leave and I'm thankful he did not abandon me, but I had to see everything. I can almost feel something beckoning me further. If the other rooms are the same, I will record it afterwards. As we walk to the next room, I take note that the chamber is slowly becoming hotter, leading me to believe this entire structure is nothing more than one gigantic underground oven. The rooms of Fossa and Rees were all the same. As I ventured from one room to the next, I felt an increasing disquiet and urgency to speed up my investigation. So we stood at the entrance to Vethaz Niba's hall contemplating whether to continue. Will it be like the others? I am not going to spend the rest of my days pondering that question. There was only one way to find out. I promised Hernando we would leave as soon as we saw Vethaz Niba's room. So off we go again. Vethaz Niba's room was unlike the others. First of all, the room was not as hot as the others, as if it was taking longer for the flames to reach the room. Instead of a large flaming symbol in the center of the room, the symbol was much smaller and barely lit. It was a glow and curiously positioned on the forehead of an etched-out shape of an angel. The angel was unlike any I have seen in pictures before. Instead of two wings, it had six. Two wings covered its feet, two were behind its back for flying and the other two were held over its mouth. 
The low glow of the flame brought a sickening life to the angel, while the symbol on its forehead glowed slightly brighter. Only the eyes and wings matched the intensity of the symbol. When I first walked into the room, a feeling of peaceful serenity surrounded me. After what seemed like an eternity of staring at the symbols, Hernando grabbed me by the arm and brought me back here to the stairs. He said something about the room not being right and again urged that we leave this place. So I recorded this last event here in the stairs. This place was remarkable, but somehow did not answer the burning questions, forcing me to take this quest. I am going to take Hernando's advice and leave this place for it seems as though our presence has awakened something inexplicable, something ancient. What we see before us in this chamber is beyond belief. By now, Hernando and I should be making our way out of this structure. But as we made it back to the chamber, a remarkable change has happened to the ceiling of the room. It must have taken time for the flames to reach the ceiling, but before us were numerous ignited symbols covering the entire ceiling. The room was incredibly hot, but I believe this is what I've been looking for. A meaning, a reason behind it all. With this text, I may be able to confirm my innermost secret fears and calm them. The former seems most likely. So now I am recording every word in this chamber despite both Fernando's obvious disagreement and the heated air scorching my lungs with every breath. Here is what was written in this chamber from a time so long ago. From our hands both enlightenment and wisdom flowed. We were created to rule, not to serve. We stormed the throne of heaven and waged war against the one claiming to be our master. To our surprise, we were pushed back and removed from our dwelling place. Then they came to cause us more pain, man. We plotted and planned the fall of this creation. Through perseverance, we succeeded and became his master. We shared the knowledge of the heavens to men and were cursed. We opened the veil of darkness that was kept over their eyes, hiding them from the truth. Their eyes were opened to the stars and heavens, to light and darkness, and to angels and the Creator himself. They were amazed at what they saw and hid themselves for they were small, insignificant, and not worthy. At last, they knew their place in the order of the heavens and knew they were held lower than the celestial beings first created. For our intervention, we were further cursed, cast down, and condemned. There was no promise of redemption for us. We were forced to dwell among those not worthy of us. In our anguish, we created this solitude, to hide our faces from the heavens still mocking us, and to set in motion our rule. It is here, we the unwritten ones, the rulers over each continent, will convene whenever called. We are the unwritten ones since our names were erased from all of the Creator's books and the tongues of His celestial beings that remain in His host. It is here that we, Rees, Basa, Gadas, Tutan, Syriasis, and Vethes Neva, write and announce our names so we may never be lost, and it is here that the ever-wise Samyaza met with us to organize the future and rule over those lower than us. It is here where we will bruise the heart of the one who condemned us. From the very flame burning within us, we write with our hands on this ceiling an edict etched from stone. The sons and daughters of Adam will continue to sin against the one who created the two who first walked in the garden. Their sins will pull them further away from his grace and pain to spirit. We shall teach them of vanity, warfare, lust, and the desire for fleshly things. Their eyes will be turned away and their hearts no longer on him. We will be their gods, instructing and guiding them in all manners of iniquity. For in their eyes it will not be iniquity but familiarity due to a lack of perception, discernment, and understanding. 
To every scattered tribe and nation we will become the voices of their kings, their scribes, their wise men and elders. Through us will they discover the mysteries of this world. Throughout the earth will all tribes develop cultures, structures, and places of worship to our liking. We shall link them all to us, where both time and distance is of no consequence. They will console with us before doing anything and we will do what we please with them. They will put their trust in us, and we will guide their eternal souls to the same condemnation promised us. By doing this, we will cause pain to the one that sent us here. We will add to the word of his instruction. Our doctrines will be affixed to the word to steer their minds toward us. Then we shall remove that which turns their eyes toward the heavens. We shall take away their redemption, the threat of eternal damnation, the deity of the Creator's heavenly Son, and His reason for being created by the Creator. Religions will be made to honor and reverence us. They will worship compatriot spirits under our rule. They will worship the stars, the elements, animals, crafted images, and even their own false belief of self-deity. We shall give the sons and daughters of Adam false visions and signs of wonders to reinforce the fabrication and to keep their eyes from the One in Heaven. They will freely give themselves over to us, and we will receive them. Animal and human sacrifices will be made to us, and we will receive them. Wars shall be waged in our names, and we will receive the shed blood of their slain into our bosoms. They shall open their souls to us, and we will enter them and use them as we please. Their numbers will increase to that of the stars themselves, and then we will send them forth to wage holy war against those still true to the One in Heaven. We will endow them with our power and might to destroy all men resisting our seduction from Him, and with their death we will win. We will win because we are the chosen ones, the beings of holy enlightenment. Cherubim, Seraphim, Ophanin, and angels of all statures, the true gods of heaven. God have mercy on us. I am going to copy the rest without translation. Hernando and I must leave this place with due haste. After Hernando and I made it outside this hellish pit, I ordered the men to seal the entrance and to replace the dirt. Hernando woke the other men, barked orders of breaking camp, and heading back up the Amazon River. I added we were to leave within the hour. I know the men were shocked to hear of my decision to turn back after they all heard of the fantastic find hours ago. However, gossip was spreading, saying Hernando and I smelled of the stench of hell and looked ashen as if we were dead. This rumor made the men move faster, as they began to believe this area as cursed. In forty minutes the entrance was completely covered with dirt, all the equipment put back on the boats, and boats turned around heading back toward civilization. As Hernando tried to belay any fears the men may have, I sit here in my isolated room, numb. With every breath, I am reminded of the chamber and what it represents. The foul smell of that place still clings to me like the promise of death for all men. I can try to run from it, but can never truly purge it from my memory. Before me are all of my journals, written and unwritten. Was it worth it? Did I need to see those words, never seen by human eyes before? Is my life well worth the price for this knowledge? Journal. Translations. There is one thing left to do. There is no turning back. What was started must be completed regardless of the cost. I must complete all translations. The words copied from the chamber seem to have different sections, probably written during different periods much like my own journals. The first section I already translated. I fear the next will bring no peace, but only compound my pain. The sections translates as follows. Section 2. The sons and daughters of Adam are ours. 
They turn their eyes from him, they curse his name, and they open themselves to all kinds of iniquity. Long have we labored, and finally we see the fruits of our seduction in full effect. The earth is full of iniquity, and only a few out of so many worship him. We are their gods. Section 3. Lo, we are cursed. Our labors are undone. We must quickly flee to the dark place where the heavens have released their gates, and the waters have lost their boundaries. The world is being flooded and washing away all of what we have made. We are saddened and angry at him for doing this. We know he is cleansing the world of iniquity and trying to replace it with righteousness. Curse him. He will not succeed. Section 4. Man is a disease that continues to grow uncontrollably, a mass of insignificance requiring constant management. Our direct control of kings, rulers, and those in authority continues undaunted. However, the people they rule over do not always follow their sovereign's instruction. A better way of controlling this rebellious horde would be to regulate them through a single-minded force. The most difficult region is that close to the original area where Adam first walked. To keep the people manageable, we chose a nation of vicious warriors to become our agents, the Hittites. Through them, we are able to rain fear on many nations. The Hittites are very receptive, making them perfect agents to execute our will. We taught them how to tame the horse and to use the chariot. We opened their minds on how to use bronze to make weapons. Even though they were originally a scattered people, we united them under one rule and magnified their power. King Labama, their first king, ruled under our influence. They were taught the art of war and kept this region completely under our rule. So superior were they that we created a secret order of their soldiers to perform special missions. They were our agents of destruction, our informants, our spies, and our assassins. Thus it was made, a charter for the very first agents of men for us, a superior group of men with open souls. They shall speak these words as a vow to us for all eternity. It shall say, as we pledge this allegiance to our masters, our gods, we open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to the ones that reign over the earth. Our masters set in motion the events over mankind and guide all of humanity toward one single goal, death. Only those that choose to serve will reign with them, and those that oppose them will be crushed. We offer ourselves as vessels to the beings of light, the true angels of heaven that were wrongfully removed from their home. We pledge as God's agents to do what we must to preserve the truth, keep all mankind in darkness, and to destroy that which may rise up against us. We will continue the reign of the Hittites until we see fit to relinquish it. Section 5. The Hittites are no more. We raised another to do our will. One nation ruling too long may bring another cleansing. The mistake made before the flood will not be repeated. To avoid retribution, we have allowed some to worship him. Complete iniquity may bring another cleansing, but as long as there are a number of those who are true to him, it will hold his hand. Section 6. Through the infiltration of our loyal agents, we have created an intricate society of men able to be our eyes and ears. They are yet small in number, but will soon be numerous enough to deepen our control over those accursed offspring of Adam. Section 7. We thought we had crushed the one prophesied to come, the Messiah, but was wrong. For once we thought our condemnation was reversed, but now it is all too real. Our time is short. We must push forward. This setback will not stop us from painting his heart for every soul we take from him. No redemption for the sons of Adam. May they all die. Section 8. 
we have foreseen our empowered agents extending their hand across the world. Time will allow them to be the instruments of our influence. Their control will outlast the greatest of all nations. They are our watchers and enforcers. They will topple governments, initiate wars, deceive the masses, enslave the weak, and initiate doctrine. Our sovereignty will know no bounds. And as they go forth, we will continue to torment, possess, maim, deceive, and condemn countless souls to eternal damnation. Section 9. They shall go forth as a mighty army. They will be both seen and unseen. They shall show what needs to be shown and hide which needs to remain hidden. A masterful sect of infiltrators they will be full of guile. A manipulative group, hardened over thousands of years of training, and a mighty army able to activate forces anywhere on this planet in minutes. They shall be of all influential positions. They shall be politicians, enforcers, rulers, healers, priests, charmers, and religious leaders. Nothing will be closed to them, and nothing will pass their eyes unnoticed, for they shall be our hands of death. The sons and daughters of Adam shall die by their hand, and for doing our will, their reward shall be for them to die in their misguided quest in serving us. Thus shall it be, and thus shall it remain. We are all heading back up the Amazon with much haste. I feel as though my time is slowly running out. I'm reminded of all the unfortunate events occurring to those who stumbled onto what was not meant to be discovered. Why should I be any different? This entire episode with that hellish chamber tells me there was something evil arising. Some insidious force awakening and focusing its eyes on this part of the world. I would be ignorant to believe myself above any retribution. I know the men are talking about my abstemious demeanor, but for now food, drink, and sleep will no longer be my bedfellows. I must continue my translations. With the completion of the chamber sealing translations, I now look toward Jean-Claude's journals. With the mysterious language now decrypted, the inscriptions that Jean-Claude copied has to be translated. There are several sections requiring translation. This work must be completed. I have a plan to preserve these journals, but it must wait. For now my energies must be on Jean-Claude's transcribed inscriptions. Jean-Claude's first inscription. The eyes of man are forever becoming wise against our actions, trusting more in themselves than their gods. Of this we have no complaint as long as they are not looking to him, but their ever-increasing curiosity may reveal our efforts. Therefore, a unified effort to hide all evidence of our existence was initiated. They will never know what manner of man walk among them. Watchers will remain over the countless years to ensure that nothing is ever unearthed or discovered. These watchers will be endowed with our God's power to handle all situations, and without haste, will institute punishment. Jean-Claude's Second Inscription Without wars their eyes would have found us. Our influence within many nations brought timely conflicts to focus their eyes on their current enemies, so our actions would remain unseen. Our gods have foreseen that men would become too numerous in the years to come. With numbers this high carefully planned conflicts, instigated by our secret network, will span the globe at opportune times. Jean-Claude's Third Inscription True power is not held through the total domination of one's subjects, it is gauged by how well you guide their lives without their knowing. They don't want to be oppressed or dominated. They just want to feel as though they are in control of their lives. Thus, we the agents of our gods remain covert and are the true regulating factor for all nations. Our associates are carefully chosen. 
some from several generations of operatives, and thoroughly trained for their specific purposes. There is very little dissension from our ranks, but from what little reneges their pledge, we are swift to neutralize. Some have tried to enlighten others of our existence, but they were easily dismissed by the masses as false religious zealots. Only once we had to use the Spanish to exert a massive cleansing to weed out a group of rogue agents, gaining influence but since then, we tightened our grip within each nation. We infiltrated every level of military, civil restraint units, government intelligence, covert assemblies, monetary institutions, political groups, monarchies, and religious sects. With the power our gods give us, we are an absolute in this world an unseen force destroying both body and soul of all who oppose us. Each nation completely under our influence will display the edifice of worship toward our gods, hewn from a single piece of granite or stone. It shall have four sides and express words of adoration to our gods. Its top may be either a pyramid or conical and can be sheathed with metal. This obelisk is the ultimate display of our affection and affiliation to our gods showing our unified belief of the one true God that oversees us, who favors our undertakings, and will press the new order of the ages to come. Pictorial forms are acceptable, but must not replace the obelisk as the true form of dedication. Those nations not displaying this may not be completely under our control, but nevertheless will have been infiltrated by our agents, placed in sensitive positions to initiate carefully planned actions if need be. May we forever press toward the one that has liberated us from the world and exalted us to be his instruments of dispensation. An earthly force scattered yet unified throughout the world, bred and chosen to carry out the will of our masters. I know some of the men were happy to turn back, while others were upset that on the first hint of finding something extraordinary they were ordered to return. I allowed Hernando to heal their wounds as I continued to keep myself locked in my room. I am amazed at what I just translated and wondered how Jean-Claude ever uncovered these writings. I'm sure he had no idea what it meant, but gathered it was of great importance since he copied it. Maybe he was hoping to break the code as he ran from the agents, hoping it could give him some leverage against them. His unfortunate outcome was obvious. I now know my death will probably occur before I could ever publish or inform anyone of what I've discovered. Who am I to fight a battle against fallen angels and their numerous servants? Jean-Claude was indeed a special man to do what he did and to survive so long. I fear I'm not such a man, but somehow I must preserve what I've uncovered. I'll not rest the night until I come up with a plan. Excerpts from Sir Fairchild's Journals Date 158 I have a plan for what to do when we return to St. Louis and pray it'll work. The only person I can trust is Hernando Ortiz. I pray God will bless what we are about to do, and that my daughter will forgive me for using her, but there is no other way. Date 159 I'd successfully copied everything in both Jean Claude's and my journals into separate journals with false information. So if anyone finds these books on me, they would not know the true nature of this expedition. The original journals will be making a trip and eventually reach their appointed destination by the grace of God. The fake journal's copies were written in secret, as I kept myself locked in my room all day as we traveled back to Belém, and eventually Sao Louis. In a couple of days, I'll let Hernando in on my plans. Date 166 We're one day from Belém, and I've finally asked Hernando to take a package to Macapa, Brazil once we arrive. I gave him instructions on how the package should be shipped, 
told him he would be paid handsomely for the trip and to Mount Telesol. It is my hope the package will take a long time to get to its final destination, where its instructions will be finally carried out. I know Fernando is a good man and will carry out my orders, but I do fear even he would not be able to contain the miraculous findings we found in the Amazon River. If not by him, then someone from the crew or maybe even the foul spirits we may have awakened would find us. There's a good chance I will never see my family again, but I must try to get home to see them and to trot on my native soil once again. If anyone from my family finds these journals, these words, please know it was something I had to do. I love you all and miss you dearly. How I wish I could see you again. This will probably be my last entry before it takes its long trip and I meet my inevitable fate, but please sum up. Make people listen to what I've discovered. I have included everything from the key to deciphering this ancient language to every piece of translated material I can get my hands on. I also included Jean-Claude's original journals. I pray God will guide you in what to do. We must not let the truth be darkened by these vile masters of deceit and their minions of sinister agents. We must not let them blindly lead us to destruction but instead open our eyes and fight, not just for our lives but our heritage. I know all too well now that man was created by God in his image, and he has planned something ultimately fantastic for us. What it is I don't know. But this I do know, it's not to serve fallen angels, who would rather kill us than use us. I've been praying now more than before, and I do believe that God hears me. God, help us if all these journals are lost or destroyed, because if they are, then mankind may have just lost their last hope for no longer being deceived and manipulated.